Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the second class in our mini-series called Even the Darkness. Taken from Psalm 139, sometimes we feel like we're in the darkness. Is God with us in the darkness? We're talking about mental health challenges, emotional well-being, and spirituality. How do we process this ourselves when we're going through these difficult times? And how can we help one another? How can we support one another in a healthy, appropriate way when our emotional well-being is threatened, all those around us is, or our mental health is not as we would wish it to be? Last time we had a class, uh, an interview with Jim Pickett. I hope that was helpful. This one is similar in that it's another interview, but it's with two very different people. It's with Sekai and Nossi, who are mental health nurses and members of our sister congregation in East London. I think you'll find it very helpful. I hope you do. Uh, this is, there's a short version and a longer version of the interview. You can watch both or either, uh, but I hope you find it helpful. And as you listen to what Nossi and Sekai have to say, ask yourself the question, what is God, what is God bringing to your attention here, either for yourself or for other people around you? Without further ado, let me hand you over to the interview with uh, Sekai and Nossi. So, uh, my name is... Miro as you know, or Sekai. Um, I am a mental health nurse. Um, my background in my, pro- my profession, well, I've been in mental health for the past 20 years. Throughout this period, I worked in prison. Uh, in prison, I worked with uh, inmates that abuse substances. So part of the healthcare, but focusing on the um, drug and alcohol. Um, currently, um, I work for a charitable organization called Social Interest Group. Um, I am the clinical lead, the, the, the group clinical lead. The charity uh, works with people with mental illness, providing supported living. Um, about eight years ago, while we were in the North sector, North and I, we, as a as mental health practitioner, we observed uh, people um, with mental illness. I mean, as practitioner, sometimes just a brief interaction with somebody, mm. we can tell. So we approached leadership and uh, requested if we could start like um, we start with a workshop to re, uh, re, to raise uh, mental health because all these people with mental illness some of them didn't talk about it some of them would see them not coming to church so we did that in the north and um, um, just held a workshop raising awareness signposting and it really changed things from that workshop people opened up so people started approaching us on an individual basis. Um, and actually some of the people I'm still in touch with them in the north while I'm in the east they still contact me so people started uh, approaching us for help for loved ones Um, so we've been doing that since so when we moved into to the east uh, we carried on yeah thank you Malcolm Um, yeah uh, Sakai and I actually trained together at Middlesex University Um, this is where she met me and this is how I became a disciple because she reached out to me, which I'm I very that bit. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. Um, because yeah, my life was really transformed and I thank God for that. So yeah, we both qualified um the same year in 2003. I went on to uh work with um what we call forensic nursing, which is like a specialist. These are people who would otherwise be in uh, prison but have committed like uh, people who have committed crimes but uh, have gone on to uh, because of their mental health uh, issues went on to work as um uh, with the compliance team uh, who work very closely with the cqc who make sure that um, uh, people in hospitals are looked after properly or adequately um so i did that for two and a half years i've gone back now to uh, back to forensics and this time i am a modern matron uh, and i look after four wards uh, for people who are really ill and for people who are ready to be discharged as well. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you, Malcolm. There's a bit of a stigma of saying I have a significant emotional health issue or a significant mental health issue. I don't really want to talk about it or I don't want to face it. And sometimes I think that's because there's an uh, assumption, not everybody, but at least for some people, that, well, 
if I was doing better spiritually, I wouldn't be having these problems. And I wonder how you process that. How do you think about that? People with um, mental health normally do not want um, to come forward to say, I suffer from this, which is quite um, sad because when we are diabetic, we are quick to say to people, you know what, I need a cup of tea immediately after church because my blood sugars are low. But we don't do that with mental health because of these stigmas. And I think for me, it's about telling people it's okay. Your mind sometimes will, will suffer because of the stressors that we have in, in, in the world that we live in. For instance, if I take, for example, the pandemic, it has affected people differently. Mm. And differently in the sense that those who are predisposed to having mental health will suffer more than anybody else. And it is up to us, I think, as um, you know, the ch our children of God to, to look after each other. But if I don't tell people that, you know what, sometimes I do really, really suffer from stress. And when that happens, I just want to hide. I just want, don't want to talk to people. I just want to be on my own. And when I'm like that, you know, um, I really don't want anyone around, but it's when I need people around. We don't say these things a lot. So people, we don't know how to help people. And because of this stigma, it doesn't help at all um, that we, we are not open enough about it. And as a church, um, I think, we need to find out from people. There is something that we always talk about that is called an advanced decision. This is for people who know that they've got a mental health problem or a mental health issue, and they make an advanced decision to say, if I'm like this, they make that decision when everything is going okay. So what uh, they do is, okay, I have a mental health illness, and normally I'm very anxious, I do this, I do this, so however it affects them, because mental health affects people differently. And so you make that, uh, you know, make that um, decision well in advance so that people know how to support you. And then there is not that stigma because we know we are brothers and sisters in the church. We should be helping each other. We should be aware. We should be in each other's lives. And when we talk about being in each other's lives, these are some of the basic things that we should know. Is there something in our discipling relationships? Is there something that you need to tell me? Are you susceptible to a lot of stress more than anybody else? If you are in that situation, how can I help you? It helps to reduce that stigma. People know that, you know what, when I've got a headache, I take paracetamol. And when I take paracetamol, people are like, oh, are you okay? What's wrong with you? You just say, I've got a headache. And it's exactly, if we only accepted mental health like that as well, that sometimes our mind does uh, lose, um, lose it as well. So it's okay to have that. Mental, mental health illness is a reality. And we know, according to the WHO statistics, that it affects one in, it's not one in three people who have mental illness. And um, various factors, as Nossi mentioned, some people are more susceptible than others. So because of that fact that it's an illness, I think the thing for people to understand that it's, all, it's an illness just like any other illness. So whether you're a Christian or not, you'll be affected by mental illness. And also the fact that, um, prayer we don't say if somebody is, you know has symptoms or their health um, is suffering and maybe the symptoms of cancer are manifesting we don't just say pray for, for those symptoms to go away so the same with mental illness that there is a point where professional help is needed um, so the thing to emphasize would be prayer alone is not sufficient and also um, to know that there is a point where professional help will be needed and as a church to be able to, to, to support, for people to be open. I think the, the critical thing, stigma, we know it exists with mental illness, but within the family of church, if people can be empowered to speak and which was our aim and which we've sort of managed really to um, 
achieve in some way with people asking with it people people calling us and say i've got a colleague with, with this symptom so opening up and ask and, and speaking is the the important thing that we can do as brothers and sisters to give people a safe environment um, so that they can speak about their mental illness um, and and the biggest thing within the family is probably confidentiality people don't feel safe and they think if they speak about their mental illness if it's talked about um, and because of the stigma in the society they then um, feel very unsafe to speak about the, about about what they're feeling or, or the symptoms that they're, they're experiencing so it's the assurance that um, any of us is susceptible to, to, to mental illness, so we will be affected at some point, but it's to seek help. And also the assurance that some uh, mental illnesses is not like permanent. If it's addressed like depression, it can be um, triggered by social situations or a situation somebody is in. And if that's addressed with counseling, at some point someone can stop taking medication. But we do know anyway, there are some, um, you know, um, illnesses where with mental illness where you have to continue taking medication for the rest of your life and still that's okay because it's the same as diabetes and high blood pressure those people have to continue taking medication the rest of their life sometimes people have an idea in their mind about what mental health is about they'll have a, a film uh, in mind or a, perhaps a family member and then everybody else sort of fits into that but mm, it's a very yeah. varied situation isn't it with different people as to what what the issues are and and how it how it manifests itself yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that is the danger because what we see on TV is not really 100% reality because mental illnesses and um, the stigma is people, it's associated with violence, with anger, with all those um, aggression, but it's really not. Sometimes you just suffer inside and not actually be able to even wake up, not even able to, to have the strength to wake up and just open your curtains and have something to eat. So it's very varied and people should understand that it affects um, people um, very differently. There was a fella, I forget the details, but somewhere in London, I think in the east of London, perhaps, who suffered from schizophrenia and killed somebody. And it was splashed across all the newspapers, of course. Yeah. And <laughs> although the papers didn't exactly put it, or the media didn't exactly put it this way, but nonetheless, the sense was, oh, if someone's schizophrenic, I should be afraid of them. And, mm. and this is something to be really afraid of. But that's, that's putting two and two and making five. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, again, yeah. I think that's the sad bit because um, I have got a brother who suffers from schizophrenia myself, but very loving, very, very, um, you know, um, he doesn't have any aggression. He doesn't. That is one thing that made me come into mental health to kind of think what's going on. Because as a child, we were really, we, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand. I just knew that he was weird and he would be picked um, on by other people. And you think, oh, what's happening? What's wrong with him? But as a child, I knew. But because of that stigma, my parents never talked about it until you know we grew up and we knew there was de definitely something wrong with him. And for me, it was just in learning that you know mm -hmm. it's okay to be different. It's okay not to be like other people as long as you are you know you take medication. And as the guy has rightfully said, it's not everyone who takes medication for the rest of their lives. But unfortunately, my brother has, um, you know, continues to take medication, and he's living a very thriving life in his own um, way. And um, he's not aggressive, he's not, you know, but he's actually, yeah, schizophrenic, but he yeah. is leaving, it's not aggressive. Is this isolated cases, um, like the one you mentioned, Malcolm, mm. that really perpetuate the stigma? Situation has improved after this boxer, what, what was his name a few years ago? 
Bruno. Is it Bruno? Or Frank Bruno. Yeah. Yes, Frank when he came up in the open and talked about um, his depression after he was sectioned or something, it has, it really helped. And a lot of people then started coming up, Beckham, Beckham saying he's um, OCD and everything. It, it sort of really helped um, um, uh, dispelling the myth about mental illness. So if, if, let's say, I'm talking to a member of the congregation, or if you were, to somebody who's really been having an unusually high level of of disturbance in any area, depression, anxiety, OCD, or anything else that you would be aware of that I might not be. And they, you know, it was going on and it's, it seems to be associated with this pandemic. Are there, are there some ways, are there some things you might share with them or some signposting you might do or some ways you might talk to them as a fellow believer? For the average Christian like me, approaching somebody who's got these particular difficulties, are there some do's and don'ts maybe that you think would be really important to bear in mind? Yes. <laughs> um, what happens is that um, sometimes we don't know um, what somebody is really, really going through. Yeah. And for me, the most important thing is to find out exactly what's happening um, with the person, what it means for them. And then that talk, which is really non-judgmental, where you completely listen, because normally what, we, what tends to happen with mental health, it raises our own anxieties within and then when somebody's talking, we want to talk over them or say, oh, yeah, this happens to me. But sometimes all you need to hear, all you need to do is to hear somebody, let them talk until you feel, you know, you, you they have reached where they want you. Because sometimes it's not about giving advice to people. Sometimes they just want a listening ear. So not mm -hmm. to jump to conclusions, just to think, oh, it's because someone wants me to say this or they want me to help them in this way. Sometimes it's about listening. And sometimes it's about, okay, what, what have you done? Ask them, okay, what is it that I can help you with? Find out from them, what do you want me to do? Sometimes they don't know. And when they say that, I, I don't know because I feel really, really overwhelmed. Maybe this is when you can say, have you gone to your GP? I would consider you to go to your GP and tell them what you are, you know, you're telling me, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Those are the, um, the first thing is to ask somebody to ask them, do you think, um, you know, I can refer you to somebody who might help you because I don't have the answers. I don't know about um, what you're asking me, but I know somebody who might be able to help you. Talking to a fellow Christian, um, the do's, I would say, um, what we sort of, you know, talked of in, in, in one uh, workshop we had was to focus on one day at a time, um, really try to to not plan ahead, think ahead, because anxiety usually grows when people start thinking widely or globally or thinking ahead of a month or two. You then feel very anxious thinking what's going to happen. And even as you, to, as you mentioned, that thinking of the new variants and, every, and, and everything, thinking too much on those things can actually make things worse, can make anxiety worse, get people more panicky as they um, um, try to figure out, um, sometimes worry for, on, on things that will not happen. The first port of call is the GP. And because of stigma, really people don't want to be seeing calling mental health department or going to a community alcohol, um, uh, um, not a community mental health team. So just knowing that the first call, if you have any symptom, is the GP, to call your GP. So that sort of make people really you know, comfortable if they are experiencing anything, knowing that you, you don't have to go to mental health um, uh, team, you can go to your GP. Where we come in as brothers and sisters to know each other deeply. And these are then where we go back to our creator, go back to what we know best in the Bible. And this has been in one another's lives. This is about checking on each other, 
sister, I didn't see you on Zoom. How are you, brother? How are you feeling? Is there anything I can do? And if you know somebody really, really deeply, you would know that something is not really right. Something and the world is slowly opening. Now people can go into each other's gardens or meet in the park. Then you can actually see, you know, face to face and see how are they dressed. Um, you know, have they been eating? You know, have they just just find out because we're brothers and sisters and we should be looking after each other. Sometimes people will give you, they'll give you a hint, mm. but they won't tell you directly that there's something deeply wrong because they're not sure if it's safe yet to tell you. And so rather than saying, you know, I've been thinking about killing myself, they might just say, you know, I've lost my appetite or mm -hmm. I haven't been sleeping well. And this has helped me to pay more attention to those simple things that people say, not, mm -hmm. not to be too super suspicious. But on the other hand, if someone I know says um, I haven't been sleeping well, rather than say, oh, that's 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 unpleasant. That can't be nice. Mm -hmm. But perhaps to ask a supplementary question, I think it's part of what you might be saying is to say, do you want to tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. Or yeah, is there something yeah. particularly on your mind at the moment? Mm -hmm. Something like that? Is that right? Am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah you're right. You're definitely right. you're on, on the right track. Listening to those hints is, is, is really important. And also, I mean, what you have said that people won't tell you exactly what's, what's happening. Because sometimes um, when, especially maybe on the onset, people actually don't know how to verbalize. Um, things will be happening and they don't know, like the onset of depression, it's just so difficult to know, you know, you, the person will lose um, interest, they will lose motivation. So it can come across like someone saying, I'm struggling to pray. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we then say, oh, you're not being spiritual, here's another scripture, it won't be helpful. It's just really then to probe more. Why are you struggling to pray? Right. And then they can then say, I, I just feel tired, I lose more. All those, you'll see the, the, the symptoms will start to unravel. Under what circumstances might a Christian say having heard something from another christian that really worried them under what circumstances might they or how would they deal with that if they think that person's in danger how, how would you sort of deal with that do you think we keep confidentiality to extent if there's risk to life to yourself or to others will break confidentiality so that's acceptable within nhs i work in a private organization we'll make sure we let our our clients or patients know that so in a christian environment i mean um like the things would consider to really not keep like if there's risk to life someone is um verbalizing serious suicidal ideas and they are talking uh, clearly about ending their life, that would be very concerning. If somebody is um, symptoms are getting worse, let's say, especially like um, auditory hallucinations, they're hearing uh, the voices that are clear, um, voices that are, um, are commanding in nature to them. And then they say, but please don't tell, tell somebody, you are the only one I'm telling you about this. That would be concerning to me because it, anything that's commanding, if the voices are telling them to do something, of course, on, on breaking confidentiality, I would tell the person, the person will be told that what you have told me because of this distressing nature, I, can, I, I, will, I won't be able to do to, to keep this. We have to do something about this. So in, in terms of um, mental health, if it's somebody not within service, I will support for them to get help. So support for them to, to, to refer them uh, that they get help. Anything that breaches any safety for mm -hmm. anyone, whether the person who is um, telling you this um, in confidence or the safety of somebody else they are talking about with threats of harm to themselves, mm -hmm. threats of harm to other people, 
needs to be reported. That needs to be escalated because, um, as the guy said, there are command hallucinations and some people have gone on to act on them and it places everybody at risk. So those, if you, you know, serious threats to anyone uh, or somebody's um, safety, then we have to escalate those things. We cannot keep things like that to ourselves because if then it's acted upon and we haven't said anything, uh, we are accomplices as well in that. Yeah. So as sake of argument, uh, I'm talking to a member of the church and they say, um, I don't think I can carry on. I'm thinking of ending it all. I've got three bottles of paracetamol at home. I'm going to go home, drink a bottle of wine, take a boatload of paracetamol. I think that's what I'm going to do tonight or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Then yes. clearly that's one of those situations where I need to contact somebody. But where would I start? You'll start, because um, I assume the person is not um, is with you at that particular time. Let's say but so. they're saying when they go home, they'll do this. I would keep them there while they're saying that. Nowadays, we are, we're blessed. It's not like, uh, you know, 15 years ago when we didn't have any mobile phones. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you can actually text. Um, and the, sometimes you just have to ring the crisis team, ring their GP. Um, you don't necessarily have to ring like the police. It depends on what you are talking, this person is talking about. But like this one, because this is a safety issue, they are threatening to take their own life and they are telling you they've got what you call active plans where somebody is going to do these things because they are with you. I must, they are not going to be do, doing it there and there. I would go home with them. And this again, we go back to what we know best. We go back to, can we pray with you? Can I go with you home? Can, we, can I take these away from you? Whatever you can say to prolong that. What, whereas at the same time, if you've got your phone, you know, text a Sakai and saying, I've got a situation here. Would you be able to help me? Do we call the police? There will be somebody who would know exactly how to go about these things. Each um, region where people live, and I would suggest this to the leaders of our, find out what your mental health crisis team number is, because mm -hmm. they work 24-7, seven mm -hmm. days a week. You can mm -hmm. get somebody to come and help there and there. They can come and do assessments there and there on a person and then mm. you're saving yourself you're saving that person so it's very important to mm. all of us know our crisis numbers where we live it will mm. save your life actually crisis team can um because i worked closely with them in the community they can actually speak with the client there and then also there is the 111 isn't it the 111 number that people can ring and say i've got somebody here who is acting like this that there is um, so much help out there before and also it would actually probably sometimes it's, it's cry for help they actually don't want to take their life so it goes back to probing sit sit them down cup of tea tell me what's happening and then it will transpire i have lost my job i've ever been paid my bills so they really don't want to kill themselves but they were just crying for help so you may actually then ending up talking and 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 and, and laughing and then you can say okay are you going to throw away the pills and they may say they want then from there maybe you may then talk about referring to things like debt plan because the issue that's making them is the debt they're in or whatever then they can go there if it's job okay can i help you with your cv so they just utter that statement as crying for help it's often the case mm -hmm. yes so it's a really it sounds like a question going back to the probing uh, thing you mentioned there but also earlier one of you mentioned there's an art i suppose or perhaps it's experience of probing without being um aggressive because it, it right you you don't want to make them feel like they're being having an interview or being in the, under an inquisition mm -hmm. but you want you want them to you want to give them the opportunity to open up about yeah, what's yeah. going on yeah. so it's, i guess it's about a gentle and patient probing is that right that, that's right with open questions 
Open questions. What, what is happening? You keep quiet. So you are you, when you say what's happening, it's it's abroad. You give them chance to talk. Um, other than as you're saying that not being aggressive, what's happening, brother? Let's open the scriptures right now. Let's read what's happening. So it's tell me, brother, what's happening? Can you tell me more? Can you explain more about what you have said? So that gives them space to talk. So probing really is less talking on on the side of the prober yeah, and more listening. Give the person the chance to, to, to answer questions. Yeah, and to actually ask, when, Sekai, can I ask, when you say this, is this what you mean? Make sure we know exactly, no assumptions, there's no room for assumptions here, because otherwise we, um, we, we, we give the wrong advice, completely the wrong advice. Mm -hmm. So if, if you think this is not really clear, you go back and say, okay, I heard you say, or I hear you say, can you just repeat? What, how does that look for you? Because for me, this is how it's looking, it's looking like, but I might be wrong. Can you explain it from your point of view? I, I, am I hearing right that you are saying you're going to take those um, pills when you get home? How many do you have? Where are they? You know, those open-ended questions where you don't give somebody just a room to say yes, no, because that is not helpful. Because I would know if somebody just says yes, no. So I need them to talk. I suppose it's a kind of a deep love to be able to be silent with somebody is a really mm -hmm. deep love because it's really quite sacrificial. Are there any particular um, scriptures in the Bible or passages in the Bible, examples of things of, that occurred in the Bible that you find particularly helpful in either in either helping other people to understand maybe that God is in this and God is with them in this and God loves them despite what they're feeling or going through. So either you might share with them all scriptures or passages from the Bible that help you with your hearts and your attitude and your actions towards people who are struggling. Anything like that? Yeah, for me, I think it's Romans 15, verse 13, which says, may the God of hope, that word hope there, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Because when you have got that hope, you've got that peace. As you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope. Because all you want somebody is to have that deep hope, to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what you need in somebody, that hope. Because for somebody to keep coming or somebody to call you to say, I'm feeling this way, there is a tiny little bit of hope there. So you want them to be overflowing with hope and filling them with, okay. And you ask them at that particular time, this is when it's very important. Brother, I think what has helped me in the past, brother is or sister, is praying, knowing that God doesn't judge me. I come to him. He knows I am broken because even Jesus wept. He wept when Lazarus died. You know, he, he was really, really aggrieved. And our souls will be aggrieved. If the son of man himself actually cried, we will cry at some point. We are not exempt. We live in this world. Even Jesus was here. He cried. He was so overwhelmed with grief when, um, you know, even when he was going to the cross. So we will have pain. And sometimes our souls will be so burdened, but Romans 15 really, really resonates with me. And I love it, even for me, when I'm going through difficult times, just to know that, you know, the God of hope mm. will that's, a really, me. that's a really interesting insight there, Nossi, I'd never thought about, which is that the very fact you're having a conversation with somebody indicates there is a, even if it is only a small amount of hope, there is some hope. Mm. And so mm. we're not starting from zero, we're yeah. starting from something. Mm -hmm. And prayerfully, we can build on that. That's a really Absolutely. interesting thought. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The story that encourages me or that I use to encourage some people I've talked to is the story of, of, of Joseph. Um, what he went through and um, 
the years he spent in um, working, taken to, to, to a foreign country and being put in prison. Um, and he, talking about hope, he, he remained hopeful. He, um, he, he sustained himself by, we don't know where he get the strength to carry on. So it's just to think of that, that hope that eventually things worked out for, for him. Um, when the butler remembered him, they, they forgot him for those, so many years, but he, he remembered him in the end. And, and just to know that we, life has thrown a lot of things to people right now. Mm -hmm. uh, people have lost jobs. Um, circumstances have changed drastically for many people. And um, we know in mental illness that when things are like this, the pressures are like this, people get depressed because this is the condition that has um, really affected a lot of people. So with that, and just thinking of, of the story of Joseph that eventually things worked out for, for, for them. And just to know that when things, are, when things are dark like this, the light will be there. Uh, even yeah. when you start not seeing it, it's there at the end of the tunnel. Um, and um, my go-to scripture is uh, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes uh, to the hills. That's where my help comes from. And I find that just really um, encouraging. And Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. So that all alone for me really, really um, helps me. For mm -hmm. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just fills me with so much hope. And with so much faith, even when I sit down and help someone, I know that, you know what, God is always here with, with us, no matter what happens, whether we are broken or not broken, nothing ever surprises him. So, yeah. Fantastic. Gosh, those are great scriptures. I'm going to make sure I have those to hand. Um, so just before we finish, is there anything we didn't talk about that you just like to make sure you want to mention? Anything else that's helpful? I just wanted to add as well that um, organizations like um, the... I always call them the good Samaritans. They're called the Samaritans, not mm -hmm. the good Samaritans. So to, it's always to, to, to give um, um, members this information as well, because they are really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, if people are really in a dark place, um, because as disciples, we can support each other to a certain extent. And sometimes like if it's midnight, 2 a.m. and the thoughts are overwhelming, you may feel, oh, I can't call people this late. The Samaritans are always a go-to area, 24-7, and um, yeah, they, they are helpful. Um, another thing I, I want to mention as well, because I wouldn't finish this without talking what's dear to my heart, substance misuse, especially alcohol abuse, has gone up um, during this period. And as disciples, we are not immune, and you know, we, 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 do, we drink, we don't get drunk, but you find that alcohol intake has increased because of people uh, being alone. And this is actually something that's very difficult for Christians to talk about, to admit that they put an um, alcohol problem. So that's something to just, you know, be thinking about and talking to people in general that, you know, if the intake has creeped to the extent that you can't not have a drink daily, then it's going to bad places. It's, it's really important to seek for help. We do know that among religious groups, it becomes really difficult. And sometimes people go, they then dip into dependency because they have not talked about it uh, sooner. Yes, I'm actually I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I mean, we didn't get there, but that is a major contributor sometimes to emotional and mental health issues mm -hmm. and has a knock-on effect, right? It can make yeah. conditions much worse or can bring on conditions. So uh, we should do a whole other thing about uh, addictions actually. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And because there, there are so many and, you know, whether it's social media 
or alcohol or mm -hmm. there are different ways for us to be to satisfy that addictive part of so many of our natures thank you thank you thank you so much this has been brilliant well a huge thank you to nossi and the sekai for what they shared what struck you what stood out to you as might be helpful to you for your own issues or in helping other people i'd like to know what you think so drop me an email malcolm at malcolmcox.org or leave a comment anywhere you hear or see this recording this is the second of our two classes. We will post more materials in the future, but that's it for now. If you have any suggestions about future classes on these topics, then do please let me know. Again, email me. And you'll find on various uh, outlets, including my own website, some other materials which people have suggested to me that may be useful for other people. So if you go to my website, you'll see them. That's malcolmcox.org. Malcolmcox.org, there's a page there on mental health and emotional well-being, and you, you may find some useful things there. Well, thanks very much. Thanks again to Nossi. Thanks to Sekai. Hope this is helpful. We are in the darkness sometimes, but we are not alone in the darkness. We have God, and prayerfully, we also have each other. Till the next time, take care, and God bless.